Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. How about that back-to-back full moon in Aquarius situation? I don't know about you, but I am glad we are past that, personally. I mean, air can be super great to get things moving. It can also feel really ungrounding. I hope your energy is feeling just the way you like it today. I know that's probably a tall order lately, but still, that's my wish for you. That's my wish for me. May we be energetically balanced, please. On that note, today's guest is a special treat, and she knows a thing or two about being energetically balanced. Her name is Divya Varni, and I met her somewhere over 10 years ago in India. Let me give you the backstory. I was in my 20s and had just gone through a horrible breakup. So, of course, the completely logical thing to do would be to travel solo to India, right? I packed up my basics in a giant backpack, found the most authentic yoga training program I could, it was literally in the middle of nowhere, and signed up for a 10-day silent meditation course in the mountains of Nepal. So I get to the ashram in the middle of nowhere. And after about two weeks, I realized the yoga program is a little too authentic for me. The day I quit was when I was told it was mandatory to shove a long, wet, thin rubber tube up my nose and then to pull it ever so slowly out of my mouth. (laughs) If you've never tried this yoga technique, it's called the Sutra Neti. And if you don't know what you're doing, which none of the students did, it will make you gag and it feels really uncomfortable. If you think that doesn't sound that bad, on that same day, we learned Kunjal Kriya, which is a yogic cleansing technique that involves voluntarily inducing vomiting after drinking saline water on an empty stomach. That was it for me. Like, that was the end of the line. I know I'm a weenie, but I wasn't going to voluntarily barf with a bunch of other people who were also barfing. You know what I mean? Like, it it just, (laughs) I couldn't do it. It freaked me out, so I quit about a third of the way in. That means I was left to figure out what to do with all of my time left in India before the meditation retreat in Nepal. For those of you who are from the U.S. or even some other countries who have not traveled to remote parts of India, it is like literally stepping into another dimension. And I did what I thought I needed to do, which was travel around in sardine-packed buses that drove for not just hours, but days into the wilderness of India. I was scared and alone, and I 100% stuck out like a sore thumb, but I was determined to find myself. I had to find some kind of semblance of a path. So one day I was sitting at a restaurant in one of these tiny villages, and there was another woman there about my age. We introduced ourselves, and she said she was from Delaware, which people, I I'm from Delaware. How in the hell did I come across the only other woman in the middle of a relatively remote town in northern India who is also from Delaware? Get out of here. We definitely took that as a sign. 
And I asked her what she was doing in India. And she said, I'm looking for a guru. And I said, can I come? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So we hopped on another bus and found our way to Rishikesh. Now, Rishikesh is located in the foothills of the Himalayas in northern India and is regarded as one of the holiest places in the world. Hindu sages and saints have visited Rishikesh since ancient times to meditate in search of higher knowledge. The Ganges River, also called the Ganga, is one of the most sacred rivers to Hindus, and it flows directly through Rishikesh. Another fun fact about Rishikesh while we're here is non-vegetarian food and alcohol are strictly prohibited there, and it's also considered the yoga capital of the world. There are swamis and gurus and seekers literally just lining the banks of the Ganges River in deep meditation. It's surreal and beautiful and mind-blowing. My Delaware friend had heard about a guru who lived in the jungles of Rishikesh, and so we were just going on a name that she had. We wandered around forever asking people if they had heard of this guru, and nobody had. Until finally, there was a man at like a roadside stand who recognized the name and gave us directions to this very remote ashram. So we walk and we walk and we walk until we get to this ashram that's nestled behind a bunch of trees. There's a gate at the front of the ashram and we walk up to it and a thin man in an orange robe comes out and looks at us through the gate. Now you'd think we would be the ones to tell him why we were there, but actually he told us. He told my Delaware friend that she was absolutely meant to be there, and then he stared at me for a while. I sensed that he was unsure about me, but eventually he said, you're here for a different reason. This is a long-ass story for another time, but long story short, we spent the next little while working with the guru and learning from him and his adopted daughter, Divya, who is about my age. Divya has been at this ashram since she was a baby, so she has had the unique experience of growing up with a living master who left his family at the age of 10 to learn yoga alone in the foothills of Rishikesh. Swamiji, as we call him, is one of those rare masters who spent years and years and years meditating alone in a cave. He is mysterious and funny and wise, and at the time, I was pretty scared of him. He had this palpable power to him. And he probably still does. He's now 91 years old and still spry as ever. Divya is a yoga teacher, coordinator, and resident of Yoga Foundation and Ashram, which I have heard has expanded a lot since I was there to visit. She lives there with her husband and her daughter, and they all get to reap the benefits of living with a master. Divya and I talk about what it's like to grow up in an ashram and have a living master as a father, what it means to be a karma yogi, and why it's so important. And Divya gives a bunch of simple techniques that we can all use to feel more balanced and centered, especially in these trying times. I'm really so excited to share her wisdom and the wisdom she's had transmitted to her from Swamiji with all of you. One note about sound here. We did the best we could with the sound quality we had access to. I think that you'll still be able to get the most important messages that Divya and Swamiji have for us. Another quick note. I mentioned Patanjali in this interview. For those of you who don't know who that is, Patanjali was a sage in ancient India, thought to be the author of a number of Sanskrit works. The greatest of these are the Yoga Sutras, which is a very classical yoga text. I also mention a quote by the Dalai Lama that I totally screw up, so here is the real quote that I reference, which I think I referenced before in an earlier episode, but just in case, the quote is, 
If every eight-year-old in the world is taught meditation, we will eliminate violence from the world within one generation. I'll give you some more info if you want to learn more about Divya, Swamiji, and their work in the outro of this episode. So without further ado, let's listen to my conversation with the amazing Divya Varney. It's woo time. I think what I want to start with is your early life. So how did you get to the ashram to start? I am here in ashram since childhood. When I opened my eyes, I was in ashram. So I grew up here. When you opened your eyes for the first time as a little baby, you were in the ashram. So you have this unique perspective of being at an ashram your entire life. What was your childhood like with this guru, this Swamiji, as your father figure? I was feeling uh, very grateful that Swamiji is with me because within biological parents, it is more than who is uh, let you grow up. So I'm not thinking about my biological parents because Swamiji is with me and uh, I feel that he's my biological parents. Because a wise person is my father, I feel very nice for that, that he's my guru also. Did you spend a lot of time meditating when you were a little kid? I mean, I imagine being in an ashram as opposed to just living in a, a regular householder's life is more spiritually rich. When did you start learning yoga and pranayama meditation? I didn't learn. I just looking Swamiji at that time. So many Swamiji's disciples was coming here. Every day here was somebody who wanted to learn from Swamiji and because before people was uh, coming to search something, before the internet, before this website and everything, before this marketing system, the downside only our signboard and so many people was coming every day for visiting and they wanted to learn here something. And before they be, there were not so much room was here. We don't have also many rooms accommodation. Only one or two kutiyas we have. And they wanted to come and stay here and doing yoga. And Swamiji was teaching them. And I was looking that how far they can do. And I was also joining them with yoga. So like that, I was looking them and I was practicing that. So... Swamiji didn't sit you down and properly teach you techniques when you were a child. You just watched and practiced. When I was a little more bigger, like 12 years or 13 years, then Swamiji was teaching me. And so what did he start with? What were the first kind of things that he taught you when you were 12 and 13? We was doing meditation. We was doing chanting. Every day we was doing uh, chanting in our altar, in front of our altar. We was doing pranayama. 
he was teaching me when he was doing his own practice he tells me come here sit down and see me how i am doing in practice that so he was taught me pranayama om pranayama meditation and some yoga poses like surya namaskar chandra namaskar and so many kinds of another yoga asana what he was doing i am practicing that i was looking him and i was practicing i'm copying him were you going to school like traditional school at the same time or were you only learning at the ashram no i was going to school also i did my education since child like normally the child goes school i went there for learning and then after after marriage i did my master degree in english literature and then just one year before i did my master degree in yoga okay so you've gone quite far in the traditional educational system how did growing up in an ashram affect your life at school were you different from the other kids because you lived in an ashram yeah my teacher was very happy with me because i had so much concentration in my study i was very quiet student So you were like an ideal student because you had so much practice being focused and being centered at home. Yeah. How did the other kids relate to you or did they? Yeah, there was a there was a respect uh, they were giving me respect so much and they was being my friends. The reason I ask is because I think it's everywhere really, but it's really predominant in certain areas of America. where if somebody is even remotely different then we treat them like shit instead of including them and respecting them and i realize this I is in yeah this is in rishikesh though so it's a little bit more accepted for this kind of upbringing i guess right yeah there is a different culture it is here also now and before was also but my friends was uh, still they are contact with me now i felt that i am a little bit different from them how how did you feel different because uh, there's so many things that uh, they was doing and i was not doing because they have so much fun they was playing like uh, their childhood but i not have like that uh, like that kind of environment i have very quiet environment and uh, very spiritual environment since y- younghood since childhood and younghood for me what they was conversation about their like their relatives and their families and uh, what they are eating what is pizza what is pasta i don't know that <laughs> what is i know <laughs> but before i doesn't know what is the taste of pizza what is the taste of pasta i want it <laughs> it's small time and anyway it's small yeah pizza and pasta very important things i just remember when i was there that you were very interested in sort of western culture and i think that's what happens right like whatever you grow up with you want to know about the other thing so i was fascinated in learning yoga culture and you were like i want to know what pizza tastes like Do you feel like that was a f- sort of a phase that you had to get through and now you've integrated the two? At that time I was not enough mature and I not have so much experience because I am living in one place. 
so when the person lives in one place then they wanted to see another places another things you know yes so exactly yeah yeah but i think that time in my mind that something was blowing that i wanted this and i wanted that but i told and like a friend that uh, yes i am very interested about the the worldly life but mm-hmm. now i have so many experience and uh, i not have now any desire only i have that my sadhana practice my spiritual practice have to go more and more higher upgraded i wanted and i wanted to share my experience my teachings and i wanted to help the people who are very ill from the mind from from their brain because i what i'm doing meditation it helps to cure the illness of the mind i wanted to help people with that and i wanted to upgrade my spiritual life my worldly life is over your worldly life is over and you feel 100% comfortable with that at this point yeah you live at the ashram full time with your husband and your daughter now did your husband before you guys got married did he know that he was going to be living in an ashram for the rest of his life did he understand the situation yeah i told him <laughs> that's good and he what was he a very spiritual person already before he met you he's not kind of a spiritual person but he is a good person i can't tell him he is a spiritual person uh because his work is like that because he is a cop he's a cop he's a cop yeah so from morning till 8:00 he's doing his job and then he comes home to the ashram yeah and does he participate in any spiritual practices with you or by himself when we have uh, some celebration here about any like a fire ceremony or something other ceremony then he participate with that with me mm-hmm. but he's doing his own own chanting his own mantra every day so he has his own personal practice and your daughter how old is she again she's now completing her 8 completed she is will be 9 now wow 9 years old yeah. now do you teach her how to meditate or do pranayama or chanting yes i teach her there is a famous quote and i'm going to botch it but the dalai lama said that something along the lines of if every 8 year old learned how to meditate in the world we would eradicate war and suffering on the planet within like one generational cycle or something like that do you think that's true because he's a dalai lama and uh, how i can comment on what he tell it is his it is his thinking his think way of thinking but my way of thinking is that how will be the parents the child will see that what the parents are acting reacting or what is they are doing they will copy that yeah first we have to be good we have to be a spiritual person then we have to teach our children like don't shout 
in front of the your child don't fight in front of your child don't do any bad things in front of your child because what you will do your child will copy that it will be just go in his brain because their brain is like a blank paper what you will write there that will be exactly. forever for example i will give you when uh, we go in kindergarten when go to a small a small small child small small baby they goes to school so what we uh, teacher tells them what they talk them a b c d and it's still you grow up until you you are now i think 30 34 still you know a b c d what you taught in your childhood because at that time our mind was like a blank paper but in between when you go in second or third in third uh, or fourth of and you did your degrees did you remember what you read there no no <laughs> why not the brains already so filled up yeah filled up yeah but before when you was you were went to your kindergarten or your play group and your teacher told you taught you a b c d alphabets 1 2 did you remember that yeah why i think the brain from 1 to 5 is like a sponge it just sucks everything up because what your teacher told first day of your school in your what you she write on your blank paper it was blank and she wrote there so that was still now in your brain right like etched into yeah. your brain yeah i want to talk a little bit about the a day in a life for you because my daily life probably looks pretty different from yours what does your day look like do you wake up and meditate right away do you, how often do you meditate in a day do you, do you do pranayama every day what's it look like for you uh morning time when i wake up uh i do first my i go to bathroom and do my regular taking bath shower and then after i make tea for swami ji for me for my husband and then after i do my chanting my pranayama practice and then after meditation i do one hour meditation morning time and nobody knows that i'm doing meditation i'm meditating nobody knows meaning that you're doing it far away in another room or i lock my room so you can have that special time for yourself do you meditate more than once a day only one time so you just have that long session in the morning Yeah. You've had a lot of people come to the ashram. You just said, you know, every day there were new people wanting to learn from before, the shami. Yeah. Before when the internet was not the computer was not here, internet was not here, the promotions was not there. So people were searching the real yogi, the real teacher who can teach them at that time. Now nobody was. No nobody wanted to come. Interesting. Why do you think nobody wants to come now? because there's very rare people that they wanted to do sadhana practice 
a spiritual practice. Very few people, they want you to be silent, to go inner self. I think I know what you mean, that technology has sort of taken over our brains in a way, and we don't know how to be quiet. We don't have even a desire to calm the mind. Yeah. I'm sure some people do. Like In Western America, you're in your country, there is so many ashrams also and so many gurus, they are doing these spiritual practices and helping the people to be calm and quiet and doing meditation. I was going to ask you about these people that come in. What do you feel was the most important lesson almost every single one of them needed to learn? Here people come, they are very open heart. The main thing is that the people know how to love and be kind and open your heart. Mostly Americans and another countries. Like I will give you example for if we will tell them that you have to pay for this, then they will definitely do. If we will tell donation, they will confused. That's very common because Westerners feel like there always has to be a monetary exchange and it has to be the set amount. I've noticed that with Buddhist meditation as well, that in Vipassana specifically, people don't understand why you don't pay, but it's because of, what is it, dana? Donation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, nobody gets that here. Well, some people do, but it's not very common. That idea is very strange in America. I think that's crazy because there are lots of things about the American mindset, the collective American mindset that is crazy because America is so young. It's like a little toddler. It's not really matured enough as a country to be able to understand some of these deeper ideologies. When people stay here in ashram, so there is a rule here that you have to do one hour or two hour karma yoga. Karma yoga, I think you also did. Yes, yes. Karma yoga. So people are sometimes they freak out that why they if they are paying then why they will doing work Mm -hmm. we are paying why we have to do work but you are paying for your accommodation what we are giving you food accommodation teaching and this karma yoga is a part of our life why you are doing because there are so many things in your mind it is an ego, it is a lower ego in your mind. You have to control that. You have to fight with that. And if you are doing work, you are not doing work for yourself, uh, for us, for the ashram. You are doing for yourself. You are working for yourself. You are cleaning for yourself. You are gardening for yourself, not for us. That is the meaning of karma yoga. Just so the listeners understand, you're saying the work that you're doing, the chore that you're doing, whether it's gardening or whatever, even though it's on the ashram grounds and it seems like it's for the ashram, it's actually for your spiritual development. 
Yes. Right. It's it's part of your getting it out. It is of- a part of the cleansing part. You know, our inner negativity will cleanse for cleansing that cleansing process. I remember when I was there that Swamiji made me do so much karma yoga and I didn't understand because I was very young and I was kind of cranky about it because I thought because I was there with Kat for the listeners. That was a friend that I met in India and she was getting to do all kinds of cool things with Swamiji like chat with him and look at his drawings and listen to his poems and meditate with him. And I had to do all this karma yoga. I had to clean and I don't even, I I don't remember all the things that I did, but it was a lot of cleaning. And I just remember being so annoyed at the time because I wasn't mature enough to understand what he was doing. And then later he kind of told me, he explained to me what karma yoga was I can see, though, how it's so frustrating at first because for a Westerner, especially, because it's like, well, how come I'm here cleaning for you? I want to learn how to do the cool stuff. But that, like you said, that's a purification process. Is karma yeah. yoga like one of the first things that you need to do to to humble yourself? Yes. And that's a requirement for all Westerners that come to the ashram or is it requirement for everyone? Now it is a little bit changed. We have a schedule and there is a part of a cleaning process and karma yoga process. But they will clean their room. They clean their what they wanted to do in karma yoga. They can decide their own. We will not force for that. For the listeners, could you explain what a karma yogi is specifically? What's somebody who identifies as a karma yogi? The karma yoga is means uh, how to control your negativity. Like put effort in karma yoga. Like what you are doing, working for another person, doing seva. Seva means uh, working to please another person. And that's the core foundation of a karma yogi correct is that your seva is i'm not working for myself i'm working for for yourself to please your guru to please your parents your mother father or your elders to please them to make comfortable them this is a very easily people will understand to how to make comfortable another person how to make please another person through your effort, it's karma yoga. And karma, that word essentially means action, right? It means the, the yeah. so that's why it's it's karma. It's the work from your heart and doing it selflessly. You're doing it in service yeah. to someone else. Yeah. The reason I ask you about this is, well, one, it was a huge part of my experience with Swamiji. The second reason is that I think it's kind of a foreign concept to a lot of people in the West, a lot of people in the whole wide world, this concept of there being a branch of yoga or a specific kind of yoga that's specifically for acts of selfless service. And I think that's something that we really need right now. 
it seems like people have been becoming more and more selfish instead of selfless over the years. Do you think that has to do with technology, politics? What is your thoughts on that? People have uh, desires more and more. One desire is uh, fulfilled and another desire comes up and that fulfilled and under like, uh, you know, like for example, somebody has a bicycle, bicycle, they want it motorcycle. Somebody has a motorcycle, they want it car. Somebody has a car, they want it, you know, sports car or more bigger, more expensive <laughs> car. I mean, you know, like this. Desires are going one by one by one by one by one. And for what that we get, we wanted that for money. That everything is coming, these are for money. And people are selfish. Their desires are not going to be fulfilled. Like a family, there are so much problems in the family. There's a wife, they have a divorce. You know what I'm saying? If a husband and wife has a divorce, then like they're newly married and four months, one year after they have a divorce. Why it's happening? Why this selfishness is coming? Why not it is love? And you're saying that the thing that's getting in the way of that love and that peace, I guess, for lack of a better term, is these desires, especially desire for money, and that we just are clawing our ways toward these desires instead of focusing inward on being happy or cultivating love, compassion, those kinds of things? The human is always self Why it is selfishness it comes? Because uh, their desires are not fulfilled. And the desires are money, money matters, and the woman. <laughs> and the woman? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Before I had a desire of money, but slowly, slowly, I... I understand, my mind understands that money is uh, nothing. It is important for living. The money can be our help to live in our life, but it can't be our life. If you were president of the world and you could have a microphone that would get to every single human, what would be your specific advice for everyone? As a spiritual person, I can tell to the listeners grow in your own self connect to your own self and meditate and do yoga practice every day for your sadhana practice for your like a spiritual practice and sadhana practice not like a only for the health yeah do yoga like a spiritual practice like a chant, like a chanting mantras, whatever religion you are from, you can connect to that and do yoga for your mind, for your heart, for your openness, not only for your physical body. Try right. to connect with yourself, with your mental body. That's great advice, especially here we call it whitewashed yoga, which is essentially white people who have taken yoga and they've made it all about making your butt look 
nice and your abs look flat instead of it being what it really is, which is a spiritual practice, like you said. And so I think it's so important for people, like you said, to have a practice that's focused on the spiritual instead of focused on looking hot, essentially. I know. Yeah. I know. That's why the yoga is not giving peace. Right. Because we're not doing it the right way. Yeah. Because we, yoga, we are doing for peace and for our good health. But still there it is some complications. I want the listeners to know who Swamiji is. First of all, what does the term Swamiji mean? Swamiji means one who knows everything, you know. The Swami means authority of the answers. And the Swamiji also we tells us to give a honor to the guru or yogi or our teacher. In Sanskrit words, uh, Swami means the one who knows everything. Swami. I actually, I did not know that. I, I thought it was another term of endearment for a teacher, which I think it is that too, but I didn't know that it meant one who knows everything. Yeah, the Swami means the owner also, the landlord, owner. That is also the definition of in dictionary. You can see it means Swami means owner. Hmm. But in Sanskrit word, yeah, owner. Like you, you are owner of your home. But that is a dictionary word. Sanskrit, you can tell that to the, the, uh, the authority of the, all the answers, Swami, Swamiji. Or we can honor the, our teacher or our guru or yogi. That is means Swamiji. Be very polite and give honor to them. They can be used interchangeably. Yeah. We have, of, uh, you can take a name of a yogi or guru you we can't take name of our guru like you if you wanted to give honor to swamiji then you can't take his name you will tell him swamiji that is a guruji swamiji oh okay so what you're saying is to honor him i would not call him valyogi premvarni because that's not respectful yeah that's what I thought, but I, I wasn't sure. In Hinduism, we never take our teacher's guru's name. We give them respect. Swamiji just had his 91st birthday just last week, right? Yes. And he's doing perfectly fine. His health is, he's doing well. Yeah, his health is well. He spent a substantial amount of time meditating alone in a cave in Rishikesh. Is that correct? Yeah, he had this cave. Do you know how long he meditated in that in that cave? He was there before when I was came in this ashram. Before eighty eight, I came in this ashram eighty eight, nineteen eighty eight, and then after he was. Spending whole day in his cave. For many years? Yeah. Many years. Did he ever live in the cave? Or did he just go there to meditate all day? Before he was living there, when he, well, he not have an ashram, this, 
he didn't establish this ashram so i think before 1960 he was in living in a cave swami ji spent a substantial amount of time investigating the interior of himself in a cave yeah. alone for years and years yeah. and years that's yeah. a crazy concept to most people that i communicate with on a daily basis he did so much so much sadhana there he did his research there his sadhana and so many things he painted the illustrations there because he wanted to be alone nobody see him before what happens that uh, a real yogi who is a real yogi they wanted to hide themselves they doesn't wanted nobody have to see them because it interrupted their sadhana practice their auras they have a their energy very purified energy if somebody will come some people will come and they will go in front of the people so they will suck your energy that's why they are hiding themselves in a cave in a forest to be in a peace peacefulness and doing meditation practicing and doing tapa tapa means like eating one time sometime not eating taking only water being within only water not eating so that kind of things samajited for purification you keep using the term sadhana can you explain what that means sadhana means a spiritual practice in that spiritual practice all so many kind of things comes like from physically to mentally like yoga meditation japa chanting mantras doing fire ceremony doing fire yagya puja and be a part of the life to make a part of the life the spirituality to read read upanishads to realize yourself these things are coming in sadhana you grow up slowly slowly you will know when you will practice you will know what it is mean you essentially grew up and are currently living with what is called a living master and i don't think there's very many of them in the world left like him what is one of the most profound things that you've learned from swami ji i learned so many things from him how to detach yourself from your familiars because everything is a matter of the attachment but swami ji loved me without attachment and it is very important you are loving you love your daughter you love your husband you love your parents you love your guru but you not have attachment how yeah. do you learn that how do you learn how to not get attached to somebody that you love so much that needs a very big practice <laughs> that's a big practice yeah it's not just something that it's you can learn for quickly. me now it is so still for me now it is so sometimes it is impossible for me still 
now i'm 34 34 year still i feel that it is impossible but non attachment to be with someone who you love that is uh, sometimes feels that is impossible mm-hmm. when you are doing practice and practice and practice and your mind becomes clear then you will know everything but if it is uh, according to what you see what you visualize what i am visualize that will be different that is a different kind like a me- meditation when we we are doing meditation or yoga nidra that everybody has a different experience so in the same practice that i have a different different experience you mentioned earlier the illness of the mind that everybody has illness of the mind and we have to work hard to practice consistently to sort of heal it i guess is that is that how you'd say it would you be healing the yeah. illness yeah do you think that that illness is getting worse or better or both worldwide i think now since uh, people are doing yoga practices and meditation practices some people illness has going better i didn't know about uh, too much but uh, i saw some people they are going good why do you think the mind has this intrinsic illness where do you think it comes from what your mind wants that not happen then your mind react your ego react then illness comes when something reacts the illness comes so is it that Let me bring it back to you said when you were a kid you were a very quiet kid and you got to live in a space that was very quiet and so that silence was separate in a way from the ego the mind's workings and so you were able to distinguish who you were without the reactionary mind is that right yeah i'm right yeah so essentially then and this is what you said before our practice should be about that sort of quieting being still being quiet so that we can actually differentiate between what we're thinking what the mind is thinking and who we really are and would you say that who yeah. we really are is the quietness inside of us that's the 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 real essence of our soul that quietness is connecting your soul yes and the mind is just part of this vehicle of the body that we're in and it's a rascal mind is your root the brain is everything what will be happens it uh, just transform first it's transform in your mind first the the seed is coming in your mind and then becoming the tree the plant So, so our mind is like a root like what we have a illness in our in our physical body it comes before our mind in our mentally mentally we are ill first like depression separation illusion delusion these are kind of illness in our mind why they are happening because of 
what our mind wants that is not happening. What we want, what our ego wants, people are judging, people are blaming, you don't like, your mind don't like that. So it's reacting. That is a reaction. I think Patanjali said in the sutras that the central act of ignorance is false identification with form. And the first form is the mind. So I'm falsely yeah. identifying with my mind. I think the thoughts that are happening up here are who I am. And that's the, the central act of ignorance. That's not who I am. And so it sounds like everything that you're doing at the ashram, everything that Swamiji is teaching is about reminding the students that they are much more than their minds and that you can use your mind as a tool, but you don't want to completely identify with it or it'll just, it'll drive you all over the place. You know, it'll, it, it wants this and it wants that and it wants this and it wants that. And it just is like, it, it's, it will go on forever if you don't tame it. Is that right? Yeah, it is right. It is uh, in Patanjali also do. I just keep thinking about how you do have a father who is a living master, a guru. Have you ever gotten into an argument with him, maybe when you were a teenager? I mean, what's your relationship like? Yeah, we have uh, sometimes we have an argument. Some when I, when I was teenager, when I, I also have uh, some arguments. But slowly, slowly, I understand that Swamiji is right and I am wrong. <laughs> is he always right? Yeah. <laughs> when I came to the ashram, I felt like the thoughts that were running around my mind, Swamiji could hear. He, it felt like he knew exactly what I was thinking and it really freaked me out. Do you feel like that's just an everyday occurrence with him? Does he know what's running around in your mind? Does he have any psychic abilities because of his deep meditative practices over decades? No, he can't read a mind, but when the person do since childhood he was doing a spiritual practice his path is different and then uh, this practicing meditation yoga and everything our we have energy inside a different kind of energy that we can feel the vibrations of the person that what kind of person this is this person has a negativity or positivity. What this person needs, what this person wants. So he, in a way, he does have some psychic abilities, as, as do you, because of the energy work that you've done. But it's not directly reading the mind verbatim. It's picking no, up on no. vibrational patterns of behavior, things like that. He know that when I am... But I feeling that he knows, even I'm a far away, that he, he feels that I'm in trouble or I'm happy or I'm nervous or what I need or the person 
who comes what kind of person this is that he knows now through the vibrations when you living in a quiet environment then your mind and body is different different reactions it's like you have more subtle vibrations very and- sensitive we will be very our body and our mind is so sensitive so we can knew that uh, what kind of person this is do you remember when i came to the ashram if i had a very negative aura about me you not have a negative aura but you were so confused <laughs> yes i was very confused i'm still a little confused but not as much that was really bad you, you wanted to learn everything in very little period you wanted to learn everything you wanted to know everything but you wanted to, to do in 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 a small time so much you wanted to learn yeah. like a kid yeah. am i right <laughs> yes 100% like a kid i wanted to know everything but i wanted to not have to do all of the work to get there yeah which it was a lot i mean it would have taken taken a long time but i was impatient i think in the beginning i was just a little immature and not not prepared for that i didn't i didn't know that I, it takes i was long. also very immature <laughs> yeah well you were more mature than me i think let's talk about meditation cuz i think i want to be able to give the listeners like as many tools as possible to help them feel more in control and ease in their bodies and their minds you do primarily japa meditation correct i do so many kinds of meditation but uh, med- japa i do it is kind of a part of that that purification quiet my mind and more the negativity when comes inside and i wanted to throw out that for that i do japa meditation you were just talking about subtle vibrations and how because of your practice and because of swami's ji's practice that everything's more subtle all your vibrations your mental faculties your body now take that and compare it to most people living in america or probably most people living in the world where everything is really dense everything is gross gross sensations and vibrations what would be the easiest accessible meditation for somebody like that to do would it be japa I will suggest om meditation for them because it is very easy om pranayama meditation with om sound you just chant the I om sound it, yeah for that we take a deep breath and we chant om as you can as longer and concentrate on that sound you have to be in very comfortable position so you sit in a comfortable position you chant om and each om is as long as your breath can go yeah like take a deep breath
like this. Wow, that was long. And you continue to repeat that. How many repeat times that. do you recommend? First, you can do uh, 10 times. And slowly, 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 you can do like a 10, then 15, and 20. You can do 20 times. And then after, when you are feel that uh, little restless, that you can't do ohm sound from the physically, you can do ohm sound mentally. You can just sit in a meditation pose, and then you can just close your eyes and concentrate your mind in that sound. What is the importance of the sound OM? Because it is sound of universe. Chanting OM is a sacred practice that helps us to, it helps us mind and body to energize and spiritualize. And it calls the first sound of universe. It is the first sound of our universe in our. According to the Hinduism, it is a like a very honorary, very sacred, very sacred thing, very sacred chanting, very sacred sound, and it is uh, connecting to ourselves from our soul to the divinity, to the Paramatma, leaders like a God, Paramatma. To connect uh, divine beings. Right. And God, Allah, Muhammad, Amen, all of these sacred words for God or the goddess, whatever, it they all have that same uh in yeah, in those same, words. Same. Yeah. And not just in Hinduism, but in all, in many cultures that is considered that original primordial almost sacred sound it's the, it's the most sacred bass sound and then yeah. you can move beyond that right let's say somebody comes to you and they're just a hot mess they're all over the place they're really dense vibration they're feeling like shit they're super negative and you tell them to do the om chanting and they start doing 10 times a day like you recommend and then they start to get bored and they're like, oh, I'm tired of chanting Om. Can I do something else? Would you tell them, no, you should keep chanting Om, or would you give them something else to break it up some? We will continue to chanting Om and I will teach him some new things also. Oh, first we will sing Om chanting and then after we will teach them some more things. Because he's a very restless person, so I have to relax his mind and body. So for that, we, I will recommend to do Yoga Nidra. What is Yoga Nidra? Yoga Nidra is uh, like a yogic sleep. Yogic sleep, uh, in this, uh, you are uh, in a stage of sleep, but still awake. And witness what is happening with your body. The experience of. So what is happening in your body, in your astral body? You can find that is uh, not only the physical body in yourself. There is a uh, so many kinds of uh, another bodies in your one physical body. So first it is the physical body, another is astral body. 
So you can meet that astral body in yoga nidra. And what's a really simple way for somebody to tap into that? Do they just lay on their backs and focus on their breathing or are there physical exercises that they do to get into that space? That is a guided meditation that we guide uh, to their mind in which uh, body part they have to concentrate and uh, which body part they have to take a breath. Like that, they can do this yoga nidra. Is there a yoga nidra video that you would recommend for people to watch or any other resource that you have available to to help people who might want to learn that? Yeah, they can have a uh, they can have a uh, a real guru who can teach uh, uh, yoga nidra, a good guided meditator who can give you guidance for the yoga nidra. I recommend I recommend they can they can see I can't say the name because uh, I really don't have uh, any specific name for the yoga nidra teacher yoga nidra they can just uh, take a in youtube they can do they can just listen the guided and they can and uh, do themselves if uh, they can't uh, do with teacher but if you will do with the teacher, that will be more beneficial for that. It's better to have a direct teacher. Yeah. How do you practice japa meditation? How to, if you were to explain that to somebody, what is that? What does that practice look like? Japa meditation is a representative of mantras, like repeating mantras or any divine name that you are very safe on that any divine name so that repeating that practice it is tells a japa meditation do you repeat it in your mind or do you repeat it out loud first we repeat in loud and then after we repeat uh, silently like it is a practice found in the jainism sikhism they are doing this japa meditation, japa, for uh, God, for themselves, for this practice. There's so many religions, and they are, they are doing this uh, practice. In Hinduism, also, they are doing the japa practice. And you said you're given a name of a god by a teacher, or do you, or do you pick a name? for any god or goddess or how do you pick which mantra to chant it is up to the guru but guru gives you name the guru gives you the mantra that you have to do it is some mantra that when guru gives then it is uh, you can do with japa practice in japa you have to take a mala you have to take a mala it is a 108 seat you can repeat that mala. You know mala? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have this one here from from Swamiji. This is the one he gave me. Yeah. It's, it's a little old. This is uh, for the one by one seed. You can know that you are doing japa and uh, how much uh, the counts that you did. Like uh, one, 108 counts. That is a 108 mantra you did. 108 times. So this one mala is complete. 
the specific mantra that you can do uh, from yourself it is uh, from lord krishna that om namo bhagavate vasudevaya namaha this is uh, or uh, om namah shivaya this is for lord shiva mantra that you can do without any guru then yourself this is, can be your sadhana practice with a part of it so some, I... some basic mantra you can do in yourself but some mantra who guru gives then you will do that is better got it so if you can't get to a guru there are some basic mantras that you can do you can chant om, om namah shivaya om yeah. namo bhagavate vasudevaya yeah what's the other one that i always hear om ganapataye namaha om om ganapataye namaha that is for lord ganesha Ganesh, yeah. So that one would be okay as well. These are all sort of like universal ones that everybody could do. Yeah. Because the, the our aim is to be get the peace, to get a calm and to do spiritual practice. Our aim is that. So if you you will do that, it is a, you, it will be same thing. Nothing right. nothing will be different. I think a lot of people are really intimidated by the the practice of chanting, especially in the West. It seems almost foreign. They're like, I don't want to chant stuff that seems weird. But mm-hmm. from what I understand of what you're saying, it seems like the chanting practice might actually be a better first step than deeper quiet meditation because the minds are, the, our minds are so dense, right? Mind needs the reason that what i am doing and why i am doing the first step of meditation is uh, to focus on something like if uh, you just came you don't know nothing about the meditation and you just came to meditate and i will tell you that just be in silence and don't talk anybody and just sit and meditate so the person will be confused that what why i am doing this and how i am doing this and how to do meditation what to do and he will confuse and he will his mind will react more and worse more it will be more worse for him so for that concentration we are using in the this japa meditation and uh, this om meditation om chanting these these are uh, like a tools for the meditator they are like a helper for the meditation because each each chanting mantras each word has their own meaning their own power the each each mantra has so so much power that they help to concentrate and quiet the mind from inner self from inside that the person when they will practice and practice and practice when they practice they will nothing will happen second day little bit you will fi- feel little bit quietness third day or fourth day little bit more in one week you will feel that you are you are quiet your mind is now not blowing you will feel very light inside your and brain weight is so light you will not feel so heavy your heaviness so there it is so many techniques of meditation 
वन बाय वन डेट इज नॉट ए ओनली वन टेक्निक देर सो मेनी टेक्निक but the easiest one is definitely om. om chanting the first yeah. step of meditation is om chanting first step of meditation and to concentrate the mind you say that consistency seems to be a really important element right because it can't just be like once every 3 months you chant the purpose is to do it even if you can just do it a little bit every day so that it builds on itself right over time yeah first you can do first you can do one mala then second day two malas of chanting and then slowly slowly when you feel that now you no need too much chanting no you no need too much chanting you need too much japa then you can do regularly like uh, you are doing uh, your mantra chanting or for your meditation like five times six times that's it so you do like five to 10 times before you do your quiet meditation after you've really gotten good in your practice of om chanting and japa yeah. first we are doing for concentrating our mind and when our mind is concentrate and we can able to do meditation then after when we go to meditation every day before to purification the environment purification for where we are sitting we are chanting the mantra during your meditations in your whole life have you ever experienced any unique entities like spirits that came to you or fairies or any entities that wouldn't identify as human or you wouldn't identify as human uh, when i was doing meditation i didn't feel that uh, fairies came or angels came near me but uh, i feel my own feelings and my own experience about the body about the astral body about the energy about the seven chakras about the kundalini shakti the kundalini power i felt that what i see in my meditation i made illustrations also i painted that is that something that you would recommend people to do is is record the things that they experience in their meditations i recommend them what when you are doing meditation or yoga nidra what you have experience you just take a note and write that for your remembrance that you did that every yoga nidra or every meditation you have experience you have to write in your notebook so in witchcraft or paganism that book is called sometimes a book of shadows which is essentially every time you do magic work which includes meditation for this religion or spiritual group you document it and this is sort of similar right like you are drawing or painting or making just a quick note of the feelings that you feel? Yeah. Do you have any visions when you meditate? Any unique visions that freaked you out or made you feel like, "Whoa." No. <laughs> if no. I will if I will go to the vision, <laughs> if I will see the vision, I will go to sleep. <laughs> you do. Until if until i will not sleeping i will meditating then i will not meditate i am going to sleep in a meditation 
on when you are doing yoga nidra there only the experience comes experience about the body of inner body like waves comes like uh, more we are concentrating on our breath so we can see our breath inside how the breath is going coming like this thing so you're having increased sensations and awareness of the interior of yourself including the astral body uh, good spirit comes they will see you and uh, you can't see them but you can feel them that somebody somebody is nearby you mm. but i didn't feel that that somebody is nearby me the pandemic has been extremely hard for almost everyone there's so much depression and anxiety especially in the western world right now actually i think it's everywhere right now it's just really intense everywhere. everywhere what is the best advice you have to help with that would it be just doing the om chanting would is there some yogic asana that you would recommend or do you have any advice to help people with that yeah they have to change their routine they have to change themselves first their 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 diet they have to change if there is a depression they are feeling they have to change change the place for some while doing asana practice yoga practice pranayama is very helpful and meditation om chanting is very important and yoga nidra because the uh, main thing is uh, to in depression the main thing is uh, to how to quiet your mind so for that quietness it needs uh, how to relax your mind first when your mind is restless you can't do anything if your mind will be restless so how to relax your mind through the yoga nidra Is there a simple pranayama technique that you would recommend for people to try? I try Anulom Vilom pranayama, Bhasrika pranayama. But for relaxing, we do Shitali pranayama, Shitkari pranayama. That is for the cold to making cool yourself when you are feeling so heat inside. So you can do pranayama Shitali pranayama, Shitkari pranayama. And how, can you just explain real quick how to do one of those? That first one, how do you say it? Is it Shitali? Yeah, Shitali pranayama is, uh, you can just turn your, your tongue like this and take a deep breath inside. Take a deep breath from your tongue and then take out from your both nostrils and feel it inside coolness okay so oh feel it where inside the body you will feel little coolness chillness so, so for the la- listeners what we're we're on video here so what's happening is i'm rolling she's rolling her tongue So, you know, like if you can make it into the hot dog style, I I think you guys know what I mean. Yes. And then suck suck through that little tunnel that you make with your tongue. Yeah. And then deep breath from your tongue. 
Big deep breath through that that rolled tongue and then exhale through both nostrils with a closed mouth. Yes. And that's a big deep breath in and then a long exhale or a short exhale? Inhale, exhale. Inhale, deep inhale and deep exhale completely. Inhale and exhale. And this is to cool cool you down if you're feeling angry or depressed or stagnant? Yeah. Chitli pranayama. Chitli means chillness. Chitli. Uh, the Sanskrit word is shital. Shitali. Oh, Shital it... means cold. S-S-H-I-T-A-L-I. Okay. So this is something if you're feeling really stagnant, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling depressed, all of that's like hot, stagnant energy. And this can cool you off, cool the inside off. How many times would you recommend doing that? Ten times. One thing more, if you have a fever, if you have fever or you are you are uh, have a cold, don't do this pranayama because it make more cool inside. And you need at that time warmness on your body. Okay, good to know. Yeah, so if you are if you have a cold, if you have a fever, this is not the one to do. Just do it when you're not sick. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. I know, you know, we've been on here for a while, but I think it's so important that people have a couple of practices that they can pull on. You've explained shitali, which is the cold pranayama. You explained japa, essentially, or just doing a a simple chanting if you can't get a guru to give you a mantra, and then also just the simple om chanting. And also, you've recommended the looking up online, like YouTube, if you want to need to relax the body, if you're feeling really negative, looking up yoga nidra. So thank you. Those are amazing practices. And nidra, just so people know, it's N-I... D-R-A? N-I-D-R-A, yes, yeah. Okay, great. Because of COVID, is yoga and ashram even open to the public? Uh, No, not for the public. Not for the public. But hopefully when things get better with the pandemic, you'll be opening back up again so people can come and work with the Swamiji directly? Yeah. Does he offer any online courses or anything that's remote? The, these things I'm organizing here about the classes and everything because I'm the, I'm doing the, all the here work. Swamiji is only here for lecture and satsang or somebody questions answer, like these things you do. But for the yoga, I have a teacher here. So there are some teachers here. And I'm also teaching here meditation and yoga nidra. And we are doing every day chanting mantras and doing fire puja for purification for mind and body. So I organizing these all things. Uh, anybody wanted, they can contact me directly. So if anybody wants to see those videos, they can just email you? Yeah, email me. WhatsApp is the most uh, very easy for me. WhatsApp or call or oh. email. Okay, great. My last question for you is, well, I have two last ones. They're short. The first one is, what's the most profound spiritual 
woo experience you've ever had, maybe supernatural experience you've ever had? One time what happened, I was sleeping or I was I was doing yoga nidra. And suddenly what happened? I don't know if I was sleeping. I went to sleep or because I was alone at that time in my room. Nobody was here. Swamiji went somewhere in a Ganga. And uh, I was alone and I was doing my meditation. And my my daughter was, I think, six months at that time. She was sleeping and I was nearby her and I was just doing my yoga nidra practice. And I think I was asleep. What happened? I feel that my astral body came out from my physical body. It was feeling so painful for me. Really? Yeah. Because uh, my astral body still connected with my physical body. And it was so painful to separate with that. And I can't be separate because I was alive. Oh, I see what you mean. Were you able to look down at your body from the astral body? I was uh, standing beside of my physical body and my physical body was uh, in the bed. On the bed. Did it freak you out? I was scared so much for that. I was scared because I thought that I don't know if I am alive or I am dead. What happening? But that happened for like 30 seconds and then after I came back. But it was very painful for me. Physically painful? I don't know. I just feeling the pain. Mm. Wow. And I don't know if it is on a physical level or in an astral level. Do you know why that happened? No. And I don't know. And it's never and I happened? I don't want you to know. <laughs> no, <after laughs> You're like, I don't care. I don't want it to happen again. Wow. Yeah. And was your body, was your physical body in paralysis? Was it unable to move? Yeah. Unable yes. to move. Yes. I've experienced that. I don't like it. It's a horrible feeling. But that happening uh, when you sleep, but I was not sleep at that time. I don't know why it happened. That's interesting. Yeah. Mine has only happened when I was asleep. Is there any last advice or any last words you'd like to say to the listeners i just wanted to say be happy be kind to everyone and do good things so your environment will be very peaceful try to positively your environment to make positive and do seva to your parents like I taught before that what is the karma yoga means, what is the seva means. So you will get the blessings of your mother, father, your teacher, your gurus. If we will do a little bit for them, that is a lot for them. You know, we all are left them when they need us that time. We, they need us at that time when we, they lost us. Our parents need, need us when we lost or uh, we just uh, go far from them because of our family. But uh, still we have to care about them. 
because their blessings are everything for us. What we do for them a little bit, it is so much for them. It's lots of mean for them. So be really good to your parents because they're important. That is an important part of our life. Even when you have a big family, no matter. You just care about your old parents because they need you. Even they are not telling from their mouth, but still they need you. Good to know. Yeah, I think a lot of people are very disconnected from their parents. So that's good advice. Thank you very much for talking with me again and answering questions. I really, really appreciate it. I know it's late there. Thank you. All right. Well, tell Swamiji I said hi and that I wish him a belated happy birthday. So who's going to start up an OM chanting practice now? I have already started back up and I've started with the 10 ohms per day per Divya's advice. I have to say, I wonder why I haven't been chanting more lately. I love chanting and it's always been such an important practice for me. It's been tremendously helpful and it's just so funny and annoying to me how we sometimes forget the practices that are the most beneficial for us. Like, why don't we remember those? Why don't we make those the highest priority? (sighs) It's annoying. Also, if you want to investigate chanting other mantras, there's an album I recommend called Mantras for Precarious Times by Diva Pramal. There's a bunch in there, and each one is chanted for 108 times, so you can use a mala if you want, which is just those prayer bead necklaces that have 108 beads on them. There's loads of reasons why there's 108 beads. Technically, there's 109, the middle one. That's the 109th bead. One of the reasons is that there are said to be a total of 108 energy lines converging to and from the heart chakra. If you want to read more about Swamiji, there is a book that you can purchase called Awakening Through the Nine Bodies, Explorations in Consciousness for Mindfulness Meditation and Yoga Practitioners. It's written by Philip Moffat. He's a Buddhist meditation teacher and writer, and he also spent a huge chunk of time directly with Swamiji. So that's how this book came to be. I'll also post a short clip of the Shitali breath that Divya just taught us. I'll post it on Instagram so you can see exactly what she meant in case it wasn't clear in the audio. And if you want to contact Divya and or plan a future trip post-COVID to Yogan Ashram, you can contact her directly at her email address or WhatsApp number all that contact info, plus links to their website, the Nine Bodies book, Diva Pramal's mantra album, and even a Yoga Nidra link will be in the show notes for this episode. If you have any questions, you can, of course, reach out to Divya or you can reach out to me as well if that's easier for you. If you want to hear more about the details of my trip to India and what I specifically learned from Swamiji and then what I learned at my very first 10-day silent meditation course in the mountains of Nepal, let me know. Maybe I'll put together a bonus episode about that. Also, Divya is going to record a short instructional meditation video for us as well, so keep an eye out for that. Okay, y'all, go get the woo. It's literally calling you right now. Don't ignore it. Believe me, I I try all the time and it doesn't work. It's not going to, you get, no. Okay, bye.
Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 